so glad you're here. Uh, as I walk around, if you see that it looks like I'm bleeding right down here, um, it's because I am, okay? So j- just so you know, I was, uh, pl- I was playing with my grandkids at a trampoline park last week before we came and scratched the front of my shin, and I was, I was walking in tonight, I hit my shin on the door, and I thought it was all scabbed over and good, and then it started bleeding, so Kelly ran and got me a Band-Aid, and I should be good. But if I pass out, maybe it's lack of blood supply or something like that. But, it, but there are some Cornhusker fans in here, so I am a true Cornhusker fan because I do bleed red, okay? So, hey, where are my Cornhusker fans? Can I, can I hear it? Thank you, thank you. I'll get, hear a little bit from them back there. <laughs> hey, hey, encourage and strengthen, encourage and strengthen, right? We got to remember that here. Uh, listen, while they're doing that, just want to say how thankful I am for Dr. Keck and his ministry in the mornings. Man, what great teaching on progressive sanctification, right? Uh, that we can grow to be more like Christ. And that has been encouraging and strengthening and convicting, hasn't it been? And if that's what God's word is good for, um, it helps grow us. And I'm so thankful for his ministry with us um, as, we, uh, as we go throughout this week. The theme for the camp is life is more than a game. And, and I want to tell you, uh, as I start tonight, kind of why I've chosen to do what I'm doing on, on the evening sessions here at family camp, because there actually is a reason why. And, you know, our world is driven by secular humanism, and one of the targets of secular humanism is, uh, is the Word of God. Right? I mean, they, are, they drive hard to try to discredit the Word of God. And you might be in these sessions thinking, hey, you know what? Psalm 19, okay, I get it. I believe the Word of God is perfect. I believe the Word of God is trustworthy. I believe it's sure. I believe it's righteous. I believe all of those things. So why are we doing this? But I want to tell you this. You, as a seasoned Believer in Jesus Christ may not need everything that we're talking about. It's good to get reminded of those things. But I want to tell you this. Your children need what we're talking about. Your grandchildren need what we're talking about. And the next generation needs what we're talking about. I, I, for the last 15 years, have had the privilege of being the football chaplain for a college that's in Crawfordsville, Indiana, called Wabash College. And uh, Wabash College is a very unique college. It's, only, it's one of only two colleges left in the United States of America that is an all-male college. 900 all-male students, and there's only one rule on campus, and that rule is you must behave like a gentleman at all times. There's a lot of leeway of what that means for a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds, trust me. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a very dark place spiritually. And as the chaplain for the football team, uh, during the football season uh, for 15 years, we've done Thursday night chapels with, that, with those football guys. And what we've done over those years is we've listened to them. We've listened to them. And we've had a chance to jump into their lives and get to know them and minister to them. And I want to tell you this, our secular campuses in our world today, what our students get is a non-stop voice in their ear of secular humanism that is telling them 
nonstop that the Bible is not true, that it is not perfect, that it is not trustworthy, and they get this in their ear over and over and over and over again. We, as God's people, got to understand that what we have as a foundation needs to be passed on to the next generation. Amen? And, and I will tell you something about the next generation. You can't just walk up to them and say, hey, look, God's word says that the Bible is perfect and it's trustworthy, so you need to believe it. Because you know what? That doesn't cut it with them. I just had this conversation with Noah tonight. And I was telling him how I was going to start this. And I gave that phrase to him. I said, you can't just tell them that the word of God is perfect and trustworthy. I said, it doesn't work that way anymore. He goes, nope, they're going to look at you and go, whatever, right? You have to prove it to them. There has to be evidence that what we're saying is true. You can't just say it and expect that they're going to believe it. And so the, one of the ways that we can do that is certainly Christ changes our lives and we can live that differently in front of people. But another way we can do that is we can take what God's word has for us and, and, and these accounts that we have in the word of God and we can go, okay, but here is another way that we can prove that what this book says, it actually is perfect and it is trustworthy and it's reliable and it's righteous and we can believe it. And, and one of my goals in, in coming here this week is to go, let's just get some ammunition so that when somebody goes, prove it, we have something that we can actually prove. And, uh, and that's just a real passion of mine um, after working with um, these football players for a long time and trying to minister to them as they just hear over and over and over and over again, even in the religion department, that this book is not trustworthy and it's not perfect and it's not infallible and it's not authoritative. And they hear that over and over and over again. And they need another voice that can say to them, yes, it is. And let me prove that to you. And so we're going to look at that again tonight, if you take your Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 19, and we're going to go to one of my favorite places tonight in Israel, and, uh, and we're going to look at how God's Word is trustworthy. And so Psalm chapter 19, uh, last night, and we can put this up, here's what we went through last night as we put Psalm 19 to the test. Uh, we talked about the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, and the treasure was that Jesus is the only solution to the hostility that we have in our world. And tonight we're going to look at the second part of verse 7, which says this, the testimony of the Lord is sure, or another word would be trustworthy, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making wise the simple. And we're going to walk through this um, in a really good fashion tonight because I got orders from headquarters. That would be Phil. That, uh, that tonight needs to be shorter than longer because the staff has been watching your kids longer than normal tonight. That includes Phil is watching your kids tonight. And so he's like, hey, like get that thing moving tonight. So we're going to move through this uh, in really good fashion this evening. Uh, let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for the evening tonight. Thank you for a great dinner, a great banquet. Thank you for just new friendships. We just keep meeting new people all the time and just enjoying the fellowship of Christ that we have. God, as we open your word tonight, I pray that it would encourage us, it would strengthen us, but God, it would also equip us and arm us with some valid 
evidence that your word is what it claims to be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's what the text says. The testimony of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord. And the testimony means to bear witness. And the Bible is God's testimony about himself, and it bears witness as to who he is. And I want you to look at Titus chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says this, because this is the importance of understanding that what God says about himself is so, so real and so important to us. Paul says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not what? A God who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. You see, our eternal destiny is we're banking on the fact that God does not lie, which means that this is truth. And, and again, we can prove it or disprove it with evidence that we look at. And so this is an incredibly important thing to us, the testimony of the Lord's, God's testimony about himself in the word of God is that he is a God that does not lie, a God that can be trusted. And that takes us to our E tonight, which is the encouragement of God's word, that his word, his testimony is trustworthy. Can it be proven? And if it can, then we know that what God's word says is not a lie, and we can trust God, and we can trust his word. The testimony of the Lord is, is trustworthy. Here's the S, the strengthening. It makes wise the simple. It makes wise the simple. Anybody here tonight would go, I'm kind of a simple-minded person. Anybody simple-minded? Right? Like, I just like things that are easy to understand. Like, don't make it complicated for me. Like, make it something that I can get. Wisdom, we can all use more wisdom. But I want to tell you, in the world that we live in today, and how many of you would say, we live in a crazy world right now, and it's getting crazier all the time. In this world that we live in today, if there's one thing that we need, is we need wisdom for how to defend the truth of Christianity and how to defend the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Wisdom, discernment, that's what we get from God's word when we study it, when we learn it. We get wisdom. It makes wise the simple, and we all need a whole lot more of that than I know that I have, uh, which is so important. So tonight, I'm going to take it to Jericho, okay? Anybody like the story of Jericho? We all know the story of Jericho. Great story. And uh, 1400 BC um, was the story of Jericho. Now, Jericho's a really great story because we know how, what the Bible says, right? Really crazy story. March around the walls, blow the trumpets, and the walls fall down, okay? Crazy story. Uh, any trumpet, trombone, or tuba players that, that are in the house? Anybody? Okay, so we got a few, okay? So I need two volunteers um, because... Because I brought from Israel a couple of shafars. Lanny wants one? Come on. Come on. Oh, and okay. Oh, the battle, the battle's gonna be right here. Okay? Now, the, the person that wins 
is the person that makes the walls fall down. Okay. Okay. That's, that's what we're going to do is. Okay. So, um, give us your best shafar and let's see how that works. Whoa. Okay. Okay. There we go. Lanny, let's go. Give it your best one. <laughs> okay, now, sometimes people need help, okay? Now, I, when I bought these in Israel, I tried it, and I sound, the, the, Joel Kramer, he goes, you sound like a wounded elephant. That's what he said I sounded like. So, so I learned a little secret, though. You go home, and you take a drill bit, and you bore the end of it out, and uh, you stick a trumpet end in there. Now give that thing a shot. <laughs> Woo! Very good, very good. Yeah. See, that helps a lot. It really does. Helping out the old guys, right? The old guys. And, and I talked to Chad earlier, and I said, hey, this would be really fun. I said, what about before we get ready to eat and you get ready to play, pray, we'll have somebody just cut loose on a shafar to let everybody know it's getting time to eat. So if you want a shot at that, we'll disinfect this and every day. And uh, if you want to give a shot at blowing the shafar before we eat, because that's what Israel would do before big events or going into battle, they would blow the ram's horns. And, uh, and it's a really cool thing. So uh, so think about that when we think about Jericho, and, and we're going to look at some really cool things about Jericho tonight to go, is the word of God trustworthy? Is it trustworthy? Because if there's ever a story that was a crazy story that you can go, okay, this is true or not true, this one's going to be really easy to see if it is or if it isn't. And so in the 1930s, let's go ahead and put this picture up there. There's a picture of Jericho. 1930s. Um, a guy by the name of uh, John Garstang did the first dig in Jericho. And, um, and if you're a reader and if you like history and this kind of stuff, um, he wrote a book, The Story of Jericho by John Garstang. You can probably still find it online. This is a fascinating book. Okay, I'm going to give you a little snippet. You want to see some really great evidence about what the Bible says and what they found in the very first dig of Jericho by John Garstang, 1930s. This is a really great book, and if you're a reader, you might want to grab that. But John Garstang, they dug Jericho in the 1930s for the first time, and I wanted to read you, and they'll be on the screen, a couple of uh, quotes from his book. And he says this, We have compared our archaeological results with the indications of the biblical narrative, both as regards the features of the fourth city as well as the manner and date of its destruction, and without finding any radical discrepancies, on the contrary, much of the details convinces us not only that the fall of the fourth city is that described in the book of Joshua, but that the narrative embodies the traditions of an eyewitness. So when they dig it, John Garstang says, hey, guess what? It matches what the Bible says. And it even seems like the person that wrote the book of Joshua was an eyewitness to the account of what happened in the destruction. And then he wrote this, the destruction of the fourth city corresponds in all material particulars with the biblical narrative of the fall of Jericho before the Israelites under Joshua. And so John Garstang says, um, 
What we found, um, the word of God, it completely matches that. It's trustworthy, all of those things. Then in the 1950s, a lady by the name of Kathleen Kenyon, put her picture up there if you would please. Kathleen Kenyon, who was a secular humanist, archaeologist, came and dug Jericho, and she has a book called Digging Up Jericho. And I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, but Kathleen Kenyon came to the observation completely opposite of John Garstang and said, no, what we found at Jericho does not match what the Bible says. Today, when you drive into Jericho, if, you, if you're able to go there, has anybody been to Jericho, by the way? Okay, couple. Okay, good, good. Few people have been to Jericho. Everybody that walks into Jericho gets this pamphlet right here that kind of tells you a little bit about Jericho. Here's what, if you open up this pamphlet and you read it, this is what the pamphlet says to everybody that walks into Jericho. The town was deserted in the late Bronze Age, 14th century BC, and the city wall of Jericho of Joshua's invasion fame was not found by the archaeologists, thus indicating a contradiction between the biblical narratives and the archaeological evidence. Everybody that goes into Jericho gets one of these that says to them, the Bible is wrong. The Bible is not trustworthy. Now, is it? Is it? So if you're taking notes, you can write down several things here. Because I want, and, and, if, and if you got that handout, like pass those around because I put a lot of the different passages of Joshua in there that you're going to need so we don't have to turn through the whole book back and forth. But here's some things that are very important. The, the geographical evidence of, of Jericho. So, so put the map up here if you would. And, and if you see, um, I'm going to point out several things. So Abel Shatim um, is right over here. And if you've ever read through the Old Testament and Joshua, and you're not exactly sure how to say that word right there, and you kind of like fumble through it, it's Shatim. Okay, that'll help all of you. Shatim. Yeah, you get it, right? Okay. Um, so, so this is where the Israelites were camped before with Joshua before crossing over to Jericho. That's the Jordan River. And the Bible says that um, God held up the water all the way back to Adam, which is, was right up here. And then they crossed the plains of Jericho and they attacked Jericho. So go ahead and go to the next picture. And uh, so this is uh, Joel Kramer, my archaeology friend. Um, we're on the Jordan side now, on the other side of the Jordan River, and we are at Shatim, and you can see back in here that they are excavating right now the ancient ruins of Shatim. Go to the next picture, if you would. Um, this is going to come into play a little bit later, but as they excavated Shatim, what they found was this layer right here, and that's called a burn layer or a destruction layer. So when this city was destroyed, and in ancient times they often would burn the city, and, and when they're digging down through the dirt and they find this, 
Um, that's, the, that's the burn layer and the white ash on top of it. And uh, this was a really new dig, so it was really easy to see the destruction layer and the burn layer, and that's going to come into play later. Uh, Joshua burned many of the cities in his seven-year conquest of the promised land. And so, so at Shittim, you can see that really, really well, and, uh, and this is where the nation of Israel was. Uh, let's go to the next picture. Um, so so this is, I'm, I'm on the Jordan side looking across the Jordan River, which runs right at the bank of this right here. And uh, that's Israel over there, modern day Israel. And uh, this little mound right up here is Adam. And they've done some excavation there uh, and they've identified that as the ancient city of Adam. So let's go back to the other picture. So, um, nope, I'm sorry, go forward. There we go, back to our map. So, uh, so the nation of Israel is here in Shittim. They know where that is. They're digging that. They've dug a dom. They know where that is. Uh, they know the plains of Jericho. So go ahead and go to the next picture. Uh, as you roll into Jericho today, um, you might go buy a herd of camels just like this. They're all hoping they don't get sent to Hebron. <laughs> hey, remember that? Okay. Uh, Hebron, where the camel uh, factory was. Uh, go to the next picture. Um, you go today and there's, hey, this is Jericho. Everybody recognizes that it's Jericho. Uh, let's go to the next picture. Uh, Kelly's getting kissed by one of those camels at Jericho. And uh, if you've never been kissed by a camel, you can ask her what that feels like. And then let's go to the next picture. And so now I'm standing at the ancient ruins of Jericho. And I'm looking across the Jordan River Valley, and you can see that over here, this is the Jordan River side now, you can see over here where Shatim is, over there where Adam is, and the Bible says this, that God held the water all the way to Adam, 20 miles, God held the water for 20 miles so the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, could cross the Jordan. And you remember what it says about the people in Jericho? It says that they shut the city up and they were fearful. Okay, you want to know why? Because they could see them coming. They could see them coming. See the Jordan River Valley there, uh, Jericho's elevated up on this hill. They could see them coming. That's why they're fearful. Um, it's why they shut the city up and why they're doing all of those things. And so as we look at the geographical evidence of Jericho, we would say, well, everything matches what the Bible says. Okay, we know where Shittim is, that's where Joshua was, we know where Adam is, we know they crossed, we know that Jericho could see them coming because they were in the plains. All of the geography of where Jericho is, how the Bible describes it, is exactly trustworthy and what God says. Now, the second thing we want to talk to you about is the geological evidence. And if you have that little sheet in front of you, in, in Joshua several times, it talks about them making flint knives, okay, making flint knives. And, uh, and I'll get to that in just a second. You can leave that up there. Um, but one of the things that as you walk around the ancient ruins of Jericho, what you find is flint. It's all over the place. Um, a buddy of mine picked this up and uh, said to Joel, so, so what is this? And he goes, oh, that's really cool. He goes, that's, the, that's part of a flint knife uh, that he found laying in the ruins of Jericho. Uh, another guy from our church was walking along and he saw a little tip sticking out of the dirt and he picked it up and, uh, and he started digging it out and he picked up this perfectly shaped arrowhead made out of flint at Jericho. 
So God says, hey, there's a bunch of flint in this area. Make a bunch of flint knives. Well, guess what? There's flint all over the place. Gives us a little more evidence that what God's word says is true. And then let's look at some historical evidence. Um, Forty years before, when the nation of Israel went in before, Moses sent in spies. And here's what the spies said in Numbers chapter uh, 13, verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. Okay, so were there fortified cities in the land of Canaan? Well, let me give you some examples. Let's go to the first one here. This is Tel Dam. This is way north in Israel, but this is the fortified city of Tel Dan. Okay, now, and, and, and on top of these walls, this is the foundation wall. On top of these walls, there would have been other walls built as well. So you can see the magnitude of some of these walls. Let's go to the next one. This is a place called Shechem. And uh, you can see uh, my brother Chip and I uh, were right down there. And so you can see the magnitude of these fortified cities that were in the land of Canaan when the spies went in the first time and said, man, we can't take this land. There's giants in the land and there's fortified cities. Well, guess what? There's fortified cities and you can see them today. And then let's go to Jericho. So this is the foundation wall right here of Jericho, um, which uh, Garstang said probably would have been 20 to 25 feet high. And uh, Chip and I are standing next to it. And then let's go to the next picture because this is very important. So this is what Jericho would have looked like back in the day of Joshua. There would have been the foundation wall. That's the one that Chip and I were standing next to. And then on top of the foundation wall would have been these large red mud brick walls. Okay, now don't forget that. That's very important. Red mud brick walls on top of the foundation wall, which would have made those walls potentially 40 feet high or higher surrounding the city of Jericho. So, and if you go to the next picture, um, today you can still see some of the red mud bricks, as you can see right there, um, that have been excavated down to that time. Some of the buildings and some of those things that they built. Next picture would be of me holding one of those red mud bricks um, that you can still find at Jericho today. And so, again, God's Word just telling us about things that were there, things that we go, oh, yeah, those things are still there today. But let's talk about the archaeological evidence for just a minute. Because to conquer the city, um, the nation of Israel, they walked around the city one time a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, and then what did they do? Shout, blow the trumpets, and what was supposed to happen to the city walls? Fall down. Okay, it's supposed to fall down. Now, look at what God's word says. Let's go to the next verse. Um, oh, let's go uh, back up one. Okay. Um, Kathleen Kenyon, remember the one that said this didn't happen? I, I wanna, I'm going to pull this out, and you can't all see it, but you can. It, I've got it blown up there. But I want you to see that this is in her excavation report. Okay, see this? This is her drawing of what happened at... Jericho. And uh, can you help me out here? Can you read what it says? Hold that right there. Right there. Fallen red bricks. Fallen red bricks. Okay. So um, 
you can see we color-coded this, uh, this little chart right here so that you could see this. And, and here's where he just read, fallen red bricks. This is the foundation wall that my brother and I were standing next to. Here's the fallen red bricks. Which way did they fall? They fell out. Cities up here. The red brick wall fell out. Now, that's significant for this reason. Look what God's word says. Joshua 6, 5. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go what? Will go up, everyone, straight in. Think about this. The army of Israel didn't go through the front gate When God made the walls fall, the walls fell out, creating a ramp for the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, to go up straight into the city, all the way around the city. They went up and in as they were already surrounding the city. God caused the walls to fall out, allowing them to do exactly what God's word says that they were going to do. Now, does anybody else think that's cool besides me? Because I think that's really cool. Because no other way does this work other than if God causes that to happen exactly like his word said it would happen. Uh, What's my next slide? Let's see here. Okay. All right. So then let's go to the next thing that the Bible says. Then they burned the whole city. Okay, they burned the whole city. John Garstang wrote this. The royal residence has been burnt, but this was no ordinary burning. The layer of ashes was so thick that the sign of intense heat was so vivid, there was 10 times more wood added than was necessary. And in places, the pile of burnt matter was as much as five feet high. It looks, in short, as though Jericho was finally burnt after deliberate preparation precisely in the manner described in the book of Joshua. Now, remember the burn lair at Shatim? Okay, remember that burn lair? Uh, Let's go to the next picture. Um, This is what they call the destruction lair. Okay, and you can see... Uh, you, you can see this. You can see the broken pottery uh, in, in all of these areas. You can see that broken pottery. That's where they came in and they destroyed the city. So you see the destruction there. Then let's go to the next one. You can't see this as well as you can at Shatim because it's been exposed longer. But do you see the black in here? And you see the white ash? That's the burn layer right there at Jericho because God... Uh, Because the Bible says that Joshua burned the city um, when he destroyed it. So again, evidence that what God's word says is true. Then let's look at one more thing. Seasonal evidence. Um, If you look at your sheets, if you have those, um, it tells us in Joshua 3.15, now the Jordan was at flood stage during the harvest. Okay, so we have a harvest season, and in Joshua 5.10, it tells us that they also celebrated the Passover just before they went in to attack the city. 
Now, there's two harvests that happen right around the Passover. One is 50 days before the Passover, and it's the wheat harvest. The next one that happens at the Passover is the barley harvest. Okay, so what harvest happens at the Passover? Barley. Okay, let's try that again. We didn't all get it. What harvest happens at the Passover? Good. Barley harvest. We're going to remember that. So when they excavated the storerooms, here we go. So they're excavating the storerooms around Jericho and, uh, and they find, go to the next picture, they find pots full of grain. When they tested the grain, do you think they found wheat or barley? Barley. Because it was the barley harvest that happened at the time of the Passover. And uh, so they find all of these and the grain was barley. And then go to the next picture and the grain was burned. Because Joshua burned the city. Now, quick question. When an invading army took a city, they took all of the supplies because they needed to feed their army and all of those things. So in, in, in all of the excavations they've done of a conquered city, there's only been one city where they found food left in the city that the army did not take, and that was at Jericho. Why do you think that there was still grain left in the city? Somebody say it. What did God tell them not to do when they conquered Jericho? Don't plunder the city. Don't take the spoils. It's a tithe to me, the Lord said to them. Do not take anything from the city. And so when they excavate it, all the way in the 1930s, after it's been covered under dirt for all those years, they still find the grain in the storerooms in the city because the nation of Israel did not take it with them because God said, don't plunder the city. Now, who thinks the word of the Lord is trustworthy, right? I mean, what an incredible story to go, man, does it match what God's word says that they're supposed to do or not do? And certainly God's word is true. Now, here's, here's one more thing. And, and this is the treasure that I want to leave you with tonight to help you understand that what God's word says is true. And the treasure is this. In all of ancient antiquity, there's only one text that mentions what happened at Jericho in the Old Testament. What do you think that one text is? Well, we got it in our laps tonight, don't we? We've got it in our laps tonight. The only text that mentions what happened at Jericho is right here. It's the only, the, the only reason where John Garstang knew where to dig and what to look for was because of this book right here. The only reason that Kathleen Kenyon knew where to dig and what to look for was because of what's written in this book right here. And here's the importance of Jericho when it comes to our Bibles and the credibility and the trustworthiness of the Bible, and it's this, that if Jericho is wrong, 
If they dig Jericho and it doesn't match this crazy story that the Bible talks about, that the walls collapsed and, and, they, and they conquered the city and they didn't plunder it, if it doesn't match, then what does that do to the rest of the credibility of this book? Then it all goes up in flames, doesn't it? Because if Jericho's not right, then is the virgin birth right? And if Jericho's not right, then is the resurrection right? And if Jericho's not right, then is the second return of Christ right? And you see how it all falls apart? If it falls apart at the beginning, then it puts into question everything else that we read in here. If you go, hey, Jericho didn't match what this book says, then the credibility of the rest of the word of God just like goes up in smoke and we're like, okay, then how do we know if we can trust anything? How can we trust anything? And I want to tell you, when I, when I give, this is like one of my favorite um, talks to give to the Wabash College students when we do football chapel. And I do it every couple of years so that I make sure I get all the guys. And when I do this talk and I look at them and I say, listen, I know that you hear a lot that the Bible's not true. But if you have all of that evidence in this really crazy story, then what does it tell you about the rest of the Bible? When we see these guys years and years later, and Kelly can tell you, I'm not lying about this. When we see these football players years and years later, and they start talking about football chapel, guess which story they always bring up? Jericho. They're always like, man, we remember that talk on Jericho. Because you want to know why it impacted them? Because we gave them evidence. We gave them proof not just believe that the word of God is perfect and trustworthy because that's what it says it is, but there's actual proof and evidence that it is true and they remember that and it made an impact on them. The other, the other talk that we do with them that just rocks their world as far as evidence goes is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to take you there on Thursday night. Thursday night. Listen, we need to understand that this is true even if we don't need it, the next generation does. Because they're a generation that says to us, prove it. Don't just tell me, prove it. And I'm here to tell you that the evidence is there. Amen? Amen. The evidence is there. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for a chance to dive into your word, to look at an incredible story that we probably all have heard, preached, and read many, many, many times. But God, sometimes when we can look below the surface and look at it from a different perspective, an evidence perspective, man, that makes a huge, huge difference in our lives. And so help us as we walk out of here tonight to be encouraged and strengthened by your word to know that it is perfect and it is trustworthy and it is something that should be that important to our lives that we live our lives by it because our eternal destiny is at stake. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.